Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, after 12 rounds of action here in Las Vegas, we go to the judges' scorecards. Tim Cheatham, Dave Moretti, and Steve Weisfeld all score this bout identically. 115 to 113 for your winner by unanimous decision. He's still undefeated and still the So I didn't believe in him anyway. I'm Kyle Mack, and welcome back to Combat Chronicles. Splitting up the episode today, so this first one you're listening to now will just cover the Canelo versus Bivol fight, as alluded to in the intro, and the UFC 274 analysis will be over on the Patreon. That'll also be out today. I want to say today, I'm talking the 8th of May, Sunday, in the immediate aftermath of both fights. So Canelo versus Bivol is well worth talking about. It's always going to be the plan to break this up into two episodes. And I actually thought that this one might be quite an easy one to record. I thought, you know, it's going to be a bit of a formality. Bivol's going to jab, move early. Canelo will uh, step it up late on the fight, break him down. Maybe not stop him, but get to him late, pressure him uh, convincingly to win the decision. And I was wrong. And I was wildly wrong. And I admit that. And it'd be easy for me to say, um, well, if there weren't printed receipts on Twitter, but um, it'd be easy for me to say, I didn't do a preview for this, but I thought this was going to happen and try and act like a a genius. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you that I was wrong and why I was wrong, because it's interesting to look at the fight through that particular lens. Uh, Going into the fight, I didn't think too highly of Dimitri Bivol. I've watched a lot of his fights um, since before he was a titleist even. And he's always struck me as quite an upright uh, boxer type, a round sleeper, if you don't know what that means. That means he takes rounds off, takes off segments in rounds, uh, quite basic offensively, straight up and down defensively, uses uh, backward steps and uh, lateral movement essentially to circumnavigate his man, peppers him with shots. Um, not, not a bad punch by any means, he's definitely got an authoritative dig. Not a massive concussive puncher, so I wasn't scared for Canelo in that regard like I would have been if he was fighting Baturbiev, who's the other 
quality light heavyweight right now. And quite frankly, I felt thought that Bivol was just going to be just too. He's obviously a very fundamentally sound fighter, but I thought he was just too basic for Canelo. By basic, I mean in terms of his output and his tactical choices within fights. Now, what's great about that, and it's great about me being so wrong, is because it allows me to explore why we are wrong about these things when we try and analyse fights without enough evidence. And here's where it gets interesting. Bivol hadn't shown me what I felt he needed to show me going into this fight. And what he did in this fight was quite extraordinary um, in terms of how he utilised his size and utilised his skills to beat a fighter who is still, in my opinion, arguably the best pound-for-pound boxer in the world. Now, I'm going to go into that and in a second, but let's talk about how the fight went down and what Bivol did to maximise his advantages... I don't want to make this all about size, but I'm going to go into what, what happened. But also, how he tactically diffused what Canelo brings to the table, which is why I was so confident in Canelo winning this fight going into it. Now, Canelo himself is might be seen as somewhat of a round sleeper, um, but I actually think he takes rounds off to actually sort of take in information, process data, and get and set up looks and reads for later on in the fight. Now, Sometimes he's trying to gauge uh, defensive reactions. Sometimes he's putting things out there that he wants his opponent to process themselves so he can use it later as a diversionary tactic. A uh, great example of this is how he uses the the jab right hand to the body to set up the jab overhand right upstairs. Um, for example, seen in the Amir Khan fight where he'd show Khan jab right body, jab right body, then later on in the fight, once Khan had processed that and felt he got his reads down, jab, Canelo drops down as if he's going to throw to the body and then whips the overhand right upstairs. Obviously, Khan's hands, he brought his hands down to block the body shot and then he's open to the right upstairs. Things like that is what Canelo does really, really well. Um, and I thought he was going to do this against Bivol. Uh, early on, Bivol's jabbing away, doing his usual thing, and I thought, this is what I expected early. Canelo getting his reads and also Bivol doing what he does best. Now, What's really interesting is that I think Bivol beat the absolute best Saul Alvarez. And that's because Canelo early on in his career seemed to be allergic to lateral movement and allergic when forced to lead, um, which is you know often the bane for natural counter-punches. But as time's gone on, uh, we're talking you know, eight to ten years ago when this was seen as a real major problem for him and you know cultivating his style in fights against quality fighters, of which he has fought many. Amavelli Reynoso bringing him along. Canelo is no longer allergic to that sort of movement. He's actually become a really good pressure fighter, feints his way in, he's better at cutting off the ring. He's really good at cutting off the uh, exit to his right hand, which is really cultured, and we saw that a lot in this fight because Bivol's own right hand was glued to his head and the left hook wasn't open for Canelo as it is usually, so Canelo was doing a lot of feint with a jab, bring the right hand across to the body, then the right uppercut. It's actually quite a Tyson, Mike Tyson kind of thing. Uh, Canelo does it really, really well. Uh, so when Bivol wants to move to his left and get a jab off, Canelo was cutting off his exits. Uh, and Bivol didn't really, wasn't really open to the left hand anyway. So straight away, Bivol was doing the right thing. Canelo was doing the right thing as well, looking like he was trying to set him up. What I, what I assumed was that as time would go on, then he would start incorporating the left hand. So Bivol would become acclimated to the right hand being his primary weapon 
Uh, maybe in time, the left, the, his own right hand would come down. Maybe his hands would come down. It actually did. We'll get to that in a second. But then Canelo would be able to work in the left hand a bit more. And that never really came. Because Bivol made adjustments himself tactically. That's what's really interesting about this one. Usually Canelo is the guy making the adjustments, coming on strong as the fights go on. And in this one, Bivol... Well, Canelo did have his moments, don't get me wrong. But it was actually Bivol, which... Who made the better adjustments in this down the stretch? But we'll get there. What was really interesting to me was Bivol, yes, he was using his range, but he wasn't constantly uh, resetting as the fight went on. But earlier on, my concern in the fight was, even though he was doing good work, Bivol, my concerns were, up until maybe the fourth or fifth round... It was very much a my turn, your turn kind of fight. Bivol would let off a combo of punches that were really impressive. He would take a step back to reset, as he often does. And then Canelo would come forward, march forward, cut him off, and then get off some punches himself. Now, in terms of the actual quality, they were relatively even matched, but I was leaning towards Bivol in these rounds. But the way I was seeing it was, well, if they're close rounds, Canelo's going to win them. And actually, that did play out that way in the fight. But again, we'll get there in a second. But that was my major concern with Bivol early on in the fight, and I thought, okay, these rounds are close, and then Canelo is going to come and take over the fight as it goes on. This is what Bivol did, which was really impressive. He, when Canelo got closer to him, Bivol then started punching with him. So Canelo then had to reset. Therefore, Canelo wasn't able to gain as much ground on Bivol, and Bivol not always taking a step back and allowing Canelo onto him. A, optics-wise, looks better for the judges. Uh, but B actually forces Canelo to go back on his own back foot and then restart what he's doing again. It gives Bivol a bit more time, a bit more breathing room without having to take a step back and concede ground. And that's basically what happened as the fight went on. Canelo would come forward more, trying to get off bigger shots, and Bivol would meet him. He'd either respond with a combination in kind or he'd punch with Canelo and force him back. Now, forcing Canelo back is a major part of how Bivol won this fight because... I think the pace was telling on Canelo. I think the size was telling on Canelo. I think the strength was a real problem for Canelo because later on in the fight, he did have to languish on the ropes for a bit. And Bivol, again, did a really impressive thing. Oftentimes, when Canelo's on the ropes, people just try and stick a jab on him. It's often a problem that people make with defensive fighters. In order to get their own offense going, they always try to stick a jab on him first. Now, there are a couple of things you can do. Often, use the jab as a throwaway or a feint and lead and try and herd them into your right hand. Uh, or try and punch in combination. Now, easier said than done. If any of you have ever seen the you know famous clips of Pernell Whitaker, you couldn't you know hit him with a grain of rice if you threw a, threw a handful at him. But in this Bivol did that very very well. He punched in combination when Canelo was on the ropes, which overloaded his defensive radar, made him more susceptible to getting clipped, and also just took him out of his rhythm and didn't allow Canelo to sort of... Usually we see Canelo, he's so defensively aware, his reflexive upper body movement is always on point, but Bivol just overloaded his radar to the point that he made Canelo uncomfortable and therefore made his work more ragged and made Canelo rush his own work. Now, Canelo did do some really good stuff down the stretch. I think it was the 10th round where I thought he threw the kitchen sink at Bivol and did a really good job, and I thought, here we go, now the tide is changing. I thought the championship rounds were going to be really problematic for Bivol. I even posted that on Twitter. Didn't delete the tweet, guys. That's not what I'm like. You know, I think when it comes to analysing fights, I think you've got to stick with what you said and try and assess where you went wrong rather than trying to pretend that you were never wrong in the first place. But Bivol did push Canelo back again in those later rounds, 11th and 12th rounds. And it was important that he did because if you look at the scorecards after the fight, obviously at the beginning I played the audio where it was 1-1-5, 1-1-3, Bivol across the board. Uh actually needed that last round to avoid a draw 
in the in the eyes of those judges. So it's one of those ones where even though I think the right man won, they tried their hardest to not let him win. And that, that was my point, you know. I thought even even if Bivol exceeds my expectations, I don't see him winning a decision. And I don't see him knocking Canelo out. And I don't think he came that close to knocking Canelo out, to be honest with you. You know, I think uh, Alvarez was struggling a bit with the pace and his def- defence was not quite as slippery as it usually was. He always had his wits about him. He knew what he was doing and he was able to move around when he needed to. And I think that generally he had enough potency in his own punches to stop Bivol ever just, you know, trying to heat-seek him, follow him around and take him out. I think Bivol really only engaged Canelo to ensure, as I said earlier, that sort of rhythm reset and also just to sort of stand his ground. Because if you let Canelo walk you down, you're in a world of hurt. And Bivol definitely shipped some big punches in this fight. I don't want to act like this was one-way traffic. This is a really good, close, two-way technical fight. One that I've enjoyed really watching as well this morning. It was a really good fight um, with a clear winner, but... I don't really want to go into the scorecards because I didn't score it myself. Watching it live, the fact that Canelo definitely had a share of the rounds, but not enough share to win the fight. I would have said probably Bivol 8-4 or something like that, but haven't re-scored it even though I've watched it twice. First time just watched it for the ebb and flow and the enjoyment, and the second time just re-watched it just to catch uh, a few more technical details. Which brings me back to my original point of why didn't I catch this before? Now, as analysts... I think you've got to be slightly different than you have to be as a fan. But I think as a fan, I'm like this anyway. I don't really like to go out on a limb. Uh, every so often, I'll do it. Very, very, very rarely. Um, I've done it recently in MMA with Kamzat Jumaev. I'm pretty certain that this guy's just got it. But generally, I like to be looking at all the evidence we've actually got. And sometimes you're wrong. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look at why I was wrong. And I actually think a lot of the Bivol backers were wrong as well. And it ties into the point I'm going to make. Now, I said earlier on that I thought the Bivol would do certain things. And there were certain things he didn't do well that I thought would therefore cost him the fight. Now, that's because I hadn't seen him do those things before. I hadn't seen him. Uh, I've, I've seen him do his back foot boxing thing. I've seen him do his combination thing. I've not really seen him put it all together in a way that I felt was conducive to a winning result for him. Especially not against a fighter like Canelo Alvarez, whose strengths I've already pointed out. And considering the fact that Canelo Alvarez being the biggest star in boxing, he's always going to get the rub with the judges. And he did in this fight, even though he lost. Because 7-5, I think, maybe arguable. I think it's very strange that all three judges had such a close fight especially going into the final round. So, what was it about Bivol in this fight that proved me wrong? Well, he did just did things I hadn't seen him do before. And therefore, I was wrong, and I'm glad I was wrong, because it's really good when the sport surprises you. But what do I mean about uh, Bivol not being what other people thought he was as well? Even the Bivol backers, in my opinion, were somewhat wrong about the ebb and flow of the fight. I think some people thought that he would bring out the old issues in Canelo by uh, sticking and moving him, jabbing him up, constantly causing Canelo to reset his feet and just outbox him. Taking us back to that sort of, you know, the Lara Trout Canelo where he was uncomfortable leading and had less big moments throughout the fight, making fights closer than perhaps they would be if he fought him today. Actually, let's not be honest, not perhaps closer. If the Canelo of, you know, the second Golovkin fight fought Lara and Trout, he'd probably fucking wipe them out in a couple of rounds on the same night. That's just my opinion, of course, but it's the right one. And if I can admit to being wrong, then at least let me be arrogant sometimes and say that I'm always right. 
But I wasn't right, was I, guys? I was fucking terribly wrong. But so were the Bivol backers. I think they thought that, yeah, they were gonna, he was going to box uh, Canelo up. You had some guys going, oh, he's just going to, you know, maybe we're going to walk through Canelo. That was also childish. What no one seemed to pinpoint was that Bivol would be able to do a little bit of everything, put it all together, and most importantly, something I alluded to earlier, with his round sleeping and some of his, should we say, less impressive performance, that he was able to do it consistently down the stretch of a championship bout against a guy who, and let's be honest, Bivol has had a lot of title fights, but Canelo, Canelo Alvarez has had a lot of title fights at a much higher level against a much more impressive level of opposition. Now, they're both about the same age. Canelo's had, what, 60-odd fights. Bivol's had, what, less than 30, I'm going to guess. I just stopped to check because, you know, I used to be great with this sort of stuff when it comes to boxing, but I'm not as great with records now I used to be. He's actually 20-0 now, so he was 19-0 going into this fight. Um, obviously, a long amateur career, whereas Canelo Alvarez was a, uh, a young professional. So, um, you know, again, Canelo's got more pro experience, and I think everyone would see Canelo as a consummate professional in terms of how he carries himself in the ring and the kind of things he does, the little things he does, that all add up to make him... Well, going into last night, the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, arguably, apart from Alexander Usyk. So the fact that Bivol's done things I didn't expect of him means I couldn't really have been wrong. Was I wrong for not going out on a limb and just guessing what might happen? Well, no, that, that, that's wrong. I think, you know, if you do that, it's kind of like a you know broken clock is right twice a day kind of thing. I went based on the available evidence I had. Dimitri Bivol proved me wrong, and I'm really glad he did. I'm not glad in the sense that I wanted Canelo Alvarez to lose. That's not what I mean at all. What I'm saying is, Bivol did that, proved me wrong, and therefore shows me again the beauty of sport. That you can argue to your blue in the face and try and dot every I and cross every T, and yet sometimes people surprise you by doing things that you just haven't seen before. And I think that's fantastic. It really does reignite my love for the sport of boxing, which... Is not my main love anymore in terms of sport. Yeah, I love it to some extent. I love the great history of the sport. I love to still, to this day, discovering more about fighters that I already know and discovering about fighters that I've never heard before. That's fantastic. When it comes to the modern game, somewhat out of touch. Not as much as I used to be in terms of checking out every single prospect. Obviously, I still know all the world-ranked guys. But even me, I'm surprised by Bivol. Really surprised. And I'm surprised less about Canelo losing and more about what Bivol did right to prove me wrong. Now, there's going to be a lot of takes after this fight about Canelo being overrated or being too small, etc, etc, etc. I think he still beats 90% of the light heavyweights out there. The only ones I'd really be concerned about with him are, indeed, Bivol and Artur Paterbiev, who I also mentioned earlier. He's just a monster wrecking ball. Um, we won't go down that path too much because it's another podcast for another day. We'll cover him when he fights... Joe Smith later in the year, which I find quite underwhelming for. I'm sure it'll be fun, but again, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much now. Just mention him, just so you get an idea. But outside of that, I think Canelo's a really good, solid light heavyweight because he's one of the best super middleweights of all time. He's one of the greatest super middleweights of all time. And he's a quality middleweight. And he was an amazing light middleweight because he is just a fucking awesome fighter. And I don't want anyone to think because Bivol put it all together, put on the best performance of his career and surprised the majority of people against Canelo, and as I said, as I've alluded to, probably surprised some of his more ardent supporters as well. I don't want people to detract from what Canelo Alvarez has done. He just had a really competitive fight against a fighter who looked like an elite level light heavyweight. He made Canelo look small. Particularly impressive because 
For a while, Bivar was seen as quite a slender light heavyweight who maybe could have made super middleweight and was wasting his time not getting the big fights a light heavyweight. Well, I'm sure he'll get them now. Um, case in point, he's going to get a rematch with Canelo, which I think is somewhat misguided. I think Canelo was about to walk into a fight with Golovkin and he should do that first. A little step back. And I think Golovkin is a step back at this stage. Um, and then possibly fight Benavidez uh, at super middleweight. Or, or someone else. I don't really think that light heavyweights in his future. Don't really see, unless Bivol has an off night, what else he can really do to counteract that. But Canelo Alvarez would know better about his own body and what happened in that ring than I would. Maybe he thought, do you know what? just want one night. There were certain reads that he was picking up on that he just couldn't execute or maybe he didn't realise till later on in the fight, ah, oh, shit, I should have done this. And, you know, for a fighter like him, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He takes on the, the biggest and best challenges around and he just tried to prove how great he was again by fighting Bivol. I think maybe he saw Bivol as a softer touch than Baturbiev. I mean, he was going to fight uh, Junior Makabu, who I spoke about in a previous podcast. Uh, for some sort of £190 WBC Cruiserweight title. It's still not really sure what was going on with that because Makabu later fought Mchunu at uh, £200 anyway, so I'm not really sure what was going on with that. Maybe some sort of catch weight or, or maybe WBC are still thinking about bringing the limit down. But obviously, I would, I would assume now that Bivol being considerably bigger than Canelo in the ring uh, has probably put the brakes on any more uh, talk of moving up in weight I mean, Canelo was talking earlier in the week about fighting Usyk and I found it laughable then. I mean, again, I give the guy the benefit of the doubt. He's proven himself. He's a true modern great of the sport, but pump the brakes, man. Usyk would have beat the ginger out of him. Um, so, yeah, all in all, really interesting fight. A really impressive performance from Bivol. And actually, the point I'm trying to make here, a really impressive performance from Saul Canelo Alvarez. I think he's a really, really good fighter. This was a really good two-way technical bout with lots to enjoy, uh, lots to analyse, lots to chew on. And I think, you know, maybe I'll pick up more on third and fourth viewing, which down the years I'm, I'm sure I'll get round to. I really, really enjoyed it. I'll definitely look forward to the second fight. But I think Canelo, if he's coming off two losses, then I think it's, he might have shot himself in the foot a bit. I think he should reset, go back down and wait and fight some other foes, maybe take on Golovkin again, even though, as I've said in uh, prior podcasts, I think, and certainly in plenty of tweets, not one I'm particularly looking forward to, but maybe a little easier on the palette, now Canelo's coming off a loss. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can find me at CombatCHR, that's C0MBATCHR, and as I said earlier, UFC 274 conversation will be over on the Patreon, where we'll be talking about one of the most violent an incredible title fight of recent memory. That's right, the rematch between Carla Esparza and Rose Namajunas. That and other such title fights like, what was it, Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje and what was that other fight that happened? Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson. What was that old fella, that old Brazilian, Trinaldo or something? Yeah, I mean, I'll probably talk about those as well, but all pales in comparison to that all-time classic, doesn't it? Hopefully I'll catch you over there at www.patreon.com slash combatchronicles. I hope you enjoyed this one, and until next time, thanks for listening.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.